um, quite, um, oh well, I'll tell you this, it was a bit of a PowerPoint, but I forgot my Apple's not here today, so <laughs> I have to have no PowerPoint. Um, I've, I've done this lesson, um, and I suppose to many people it means, it shouldn't mean many things, but unfortunately it means quite a few different things. And I've done the sermon, it's entitled, uh, I'm Being Filled with the Spirit. So, I don't want you to come, if you can help me, not with a preconceived idea what that means. Because you've got to come with an open mind, okay? So don't worry, think, oh, do you know what, he's going to, he's going to talk about that, and talk about this. You've got to listen to it. Because there is so much error today being taught about the Spirit, which is absolutely frightening. I was speaking to somebody in the week, um, at work, and we had to go to one of these, had to go into a church to do something in, in, in work time. And they were talking about the Holy Spirit, and it's just phenomenal what was coming out of their mouth about the Holy Spirit. And they were referring to the Holy Spirit as an it rather than a he. And it's just so much going on in the world today that there's just so many different ideas floating around that it, it does kind of frighten me. <coughs> uh, and I thought it was quite, quite apt, actually, one of the hymns we sang, um, Holy, Holy, Holy. If you looked at verse 4, this is perhaps what I'm going to talk about, kind of one way I'm going to talk about it. Because in verse 4, it says, Come and fill our hearts anew, Holy Spirit. So, I thought it was quite apt about the message you're going to uh, kind of talk, talk about today, really. So, please don't call me this all. Oh, Pentecostalism, here we go. I don't want to come with any of that. I want you to come and open your ears to what, what I'm going to say. And if you want the sermon, then email me. Because I know some people say, oh, I want to look and see whether or not, sir. What he's saying is true. I think it is in the Bible, so you're alright. But, um, but yeah, I want you to think about what I'm going to talk about. We're going to be coming from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 21. So you need to, go, you need to come to um, that, if you open your Bibles there. Ephesians 5, verse 18 to 21. That's where we're going to come from. Okay? So, if I read those verses to start with, and we're there, yeah? <coughs> And it says here, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay then. I think it's safe to assume that everybody here, I hope so, we're in the 21st century, uh, has indoor plumbing. Yeah? We, yeah? we kind of have indoor plumbing in the UK. Well, I hope we do. Unless you're moving house and you've got to rebuild, you might not have indoor plumbing. But the general is we've all got indoor plumbing, yeah? So if I want a glass of water, it's simply a matter of me taking a glass, yeah? Placing it under the tap. I turn that tap on. The water then becomes available to use, but it's a simple matter of taking the cup under the tap, turning it on, then I can use it. Yeah? I think we can all agree with that. Yeah. Hold that thought. Jesus used the idea of water when he talked about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, verse 38 to 39, he said that any person who places his faith in him would have rivers of living water flowing out of them. That's what he said. 
Even John gave us a little bit more info about that statement. He says, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit that was to come. So believers, and then you need to hold this, and this is, hold on to what I'm going to say. Believers receive the Holy Spirit, listen to me, receive the Holy Spirit in abundant supply when you obey the Gospel. That's where you get the Holy Spirit. Hold that. We know we have him in our lives if we've obeyed the gospel. If you've trusted Christ as your saviour and you've obeyed the gospel, you receive the Holy Spirit. Hold that. We should know that. However, my message today is I'm being filled with the Spirit. There's a difference. The only place in Scripture that examines in a literal fashion the act of being filled in the Spirit is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 21. It's the only place. So as we look at these verses today, I believe we're going to see more clearly what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That's what I hope you're going to get. And I hope that it's something that you'll consider when you read this building. So the best way to examine our passage today is a three-step process. And I wouldn't have the three-step process on the PowerPoint, obviously we haven't got Paul's words in verse 18 are a command. They are a command. Issued for Christians. So in order to understand, we need to examine three things. We'll begin to look at the context for that command. Okay, that's what we're going to begin to look at. The context of that command. The verses surrounding you. That's what we're going to look at. Secondly, we're going to examine the construction of that command itself. Okay? So this particular Greek form is very rich in meaning in the light of how the Holy Spirit works. Okay? Finally, what we're going to do is we're going to investigate the qualifications of the command. Basically putting it, the evidence of obeying it. So in these ways, I believe we will come to an understanding clearly and exactly and biblically what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Alright? You with me? I hope so. So let's look at the context of the command. It is a command. The context of the command. The fifth chapter of Ephesians begins with these words. Right at the beginning, look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. That's what it says. Paul then tells us how to accomplish that by a series of contrasts. So in verses 3 through to 5... He tells them not to be known for immorality, but instead for thankfulness. So if he's going to tell us how I'm going to be, it's in verse 5, imitators of God as beloved children, I want to know how I'm going to do that. So Paul's explaining it for those verses up until 18, how to accomplish that. So verses 3 to 5, as I said, he tells them not to be known for immorality, but instead for thankfulness. In contrast, he contrasts, sorry, light and darkness in verses 6 through to 14, he's comparing the two, light and darkness. That's what you should be known for. Okay? Paul continues with the charge to refute foolishness with wisdom through verses 15 to 17. Okay? Not so far? He's contrasting. Finally, in verses 18 through to 21, he describes the infilling of the Holy Spirit as contrasted with what? 
Immoral drunkenness. That's what he says. And do you remember the crowd's response? If we go way, way go back in Acts chapter 2 verse 13, when the, the people were mocking the, the disciples, they said, these men, do you know what? These men are full of new wine. Do you remember that? Way back there. Their behaviour exhibited by the disciples led somebody, or some of them basically to say, do you know what? They were under the influence. That's what they were saying. But what did Peter say in response? In verse 15 tells us that he said they were not drunk, but instead it was a fulfilment of Joel's prophecy. And what was that prophecy? Well, it was in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 29. That prophecy was, tells us, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall see dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and the handmaidens in those days, I will pour out my spirit. This happened at Pentecost. Okay? That's what happened on Pentecost. Hold it. The believers may have been under the influence, or the disciples would have been under the influence, but it was rather not under the influence of spirits. They were under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were under the influence of the Holy Spirit then at Pentecost. Every reference to the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts carries it with, carries with it kind of an understanding of power, of exuberance, or boldness. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, But ye shall be, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So we've already seen that in the example on the day of Pentecost, for them there only. Okay? In Acts chapter 4, verse 8, we see Peter testifying before the council. And what he was testifying before the council with what? Boldness. As a result of being filled with the Spirit. Alright? The first deacons were required to be men, what? Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Stephen, one of the first deacons, preached powerfully to those who stoned him. In Acts chapter 7, verse 55, we are told, But he, being what? Being full, it says, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It was at this point they cried out, if you remember, they tried to stop him, they covered their ears up, they picked stones up to stone to kill him. So is it possible that being filled with the Spirit might resemble drunkenness? That's what the question is, people, that's what it is. If it means an increase in boldness, in you sharing your faith, in you standing up for Jesus Christ, in you being exuberant, you want to be so bold that you've got no fear, if it means that, then I would say yes, absolutely. Does it, being filled with the Spirit, mean loss of a mental emotion? We've seen it, people falling all over the floor, yeah? No self-control, throwing themselves everywhere, absolutely not. That's not what it means by being filled with the Spirit. Hold the thought I've said to you, that you only receive the Holy Spirit when you obey the Gospel. When you are converted. But on a moral plane, if you're going to be under the influence, I suggest I'd rather be under the influence of the Holy Spirit than an alcohol. Would you not? Would you agree with that? Yeah? 
We're all aware of the devastating effects of alcohol. Alcohol is a, a chemical depressant. While the Holy Spirit is a spiritual stimulant. Alcohol impairs our judgment, but the Holy Spirit improves our judgment. Alcohol makes some users violent, while the Holy Spirit makes Christians more loving. Alcohol destroys homes, it destroys families, but the Holy Spirit brings families together. The bottom line is that alcohol has no place like that in in, in our lives. They ought to be stead, but we should all be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah? You all know part of my history. My father was uh, an alcoholic, drunk himself to death at the age of 61. But as I was growing up, he liked his drink. He also liked to use his fists. And, and I was beaten as a child continually because of his drinking. So I know the effects of alcohol as on a human being. Obviously what I do for a day job, I see every single day the effects of women being beaten up by their partners due to alcohol abuse. So if you're going to be filled with something, then I suggest we are filled with the Spirit. Not the Spirit out of God. So let's look at the construction of the command. I said earlier that the command to be filled with the Spirit is an interesting Greek construction. Allow me just to take a couple of minutes just to tell you about that. For starters, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not something that you can do yourself. You cannot do it. In other words, you nor I can fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. Instead, we must allow Him to fill us from the inside. Did you want to say that? From the inside. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled from the inside. Preachers today, and I've seen it, we've all seen it, think that the Holy Spirit's a genie in a bottle. Come down, Holy Spirit, bless us, come down. That is absolutely error. That is false. The Holy Spirit, you've got the Holy Spirit when you're a Christian, and the Holy Spirit should fill you from the inside. He's no genie in a bottle to be your servant. The Holy Spirit is He, He's deity, He's God. We must remember that. If we were water glasses, we could set ourselves under the water tap, yeah? But we could not turn the water on if there were glasses. The concept of what it basically implies is an act of submission on our part of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. We must submit in the same way we must allow the Holy Spirit to do the thing. By an act, what? Simply of our will. But we can also stop the Holy Spirit from filling us. We can do that also. And I think it's so sad today that many Christians today do exactly that. They do exactly that. The second aspect of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is that I'm afraid it's something that must happen over and over again on a daily basis. I read a story once um, about a child's plastic wading pool that had to be constantly being refilled. Okay, the scene of the children were always getting up into water to put it back in, in back into that pool, because you know what? There was a crack at the bottom of the pool, and the water leaked out constantly. Like it or not, you and I are leaky sometimes, and we're cracked. The literal translation to be filled in Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen is: "Keep on being filled." 
That's the literal translation. It is a matter of submitting to the Holy Spirit every day of our lives and allow Him to fill us up. The third and final point of this construction in this phrase is a plural case. Paul was not simply addressing an individual in the Ephesian church. He was addressing everybody in the Ephesian church. Being filled with the Spirit was not just the responsibility who were apt to be the preacher. It was a part of the life of every member of the body. The same holds true today. Being filled with the Spirit and experiencing His power is not something reserved for the spiritual elite. It is a privilege of every born-again child of God mm-hmm. who have obeyed the Gospel. And what I can see from it, it's, it's not an add-on either. It's not an add-on. Being filled with the Spirit is essential to walking with God. We've, so what we've done is we've examined the context, yeah? The construction of the command... But let's get down to the basic facts. The qualifications of the command. What are they? Paul lists four functions in what the text we've read. Okay? That identify a spirit-filled life in the verses of this command to follow. He said, speaking to other believers. Yeah, because that's what it says. Speaking to other believers. Singing to the Lord. Giving thanks to God. And submitting to each other. Let's examine each as a separate function of the spirit-filled believers in the local church. Paul says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and and spiritual songs. As far as I know, the three genes of music mentioned here that cover the three distinct styles of singing. The psalms, of course, represent what? The written songs of the Old Testament. We know that, yeah? The hymns likewise represent the, uh, the written music of the New Testament. And spiritual songs, it seems, are songs inspired by the Spirit. How many times, and I've done this, that you just find yourself singing, praising God? It's not in a hymn book, it's not written down anywhere, it's your song. You've sung out to the Lord. How many times have you done that? Yeah, I've done that. I'm not ashamed to say that. I've gone to work and started singing, praising, glorifying God. That's my song. That's my spiritual song. It's not written down anywhere, it's from me. Yeah? And some believers do, re- do believe that this experience of like that is perhaps something like your testimony song about the, ex- the, about the personal experience of the, uh, the of kind of the writer. Others believe they are spontaneous, whatever they are, regardless of whatever they are, Paul said to share these with your fellow believers. That's what Paul says, not me. Paul says that. Remember the command to be filled was for all believers. As was the command to speak. The second thing there, he says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Isn't it interesting to know that we are to speak to each other, but we are to sing to God? Isn't it interesting that? Speak to each other, but sing to the Lord, it says in the text. And I believe there is a truth to this distinction that is deeper than we know. One of the truths of creation is that music is a gift from God to be used for God's glory. The earliest songs were songs of praise. Since the fall of humankind, however, one of the effects has been the perversion of music. It is rare to find in scripture a reference to singing that is not dedicated to God. 
It's very rare that you'll not find that. God should be a part of our worship. Singing should be a part of our worship and it is as we've had sings, our songs today. Why do we bother singing hymns today? Is it for our benefit or for his? But singing and worshipping God should be for him. Paul's distinction between speaking to each other and singing to God was no accident. It was simply an indicator of the spirit-filled life. That's what it was. Thirdly, Paul tells us that a person filled with the Spirit well, practices thanksgiving. That's what he says. If you're filled with the Spirit, you should practice thanksgiving. We cannot stress enough the necessity of giving thanks in the life of a Christian. It is something that is always taking place. It is something that we cannot afford to take for granted. Paul said, but therefore the grace of God go on. That's what Paul said. So I ask you, are we always giving thanks? Every day are you giving thanks? If we are living a spirit-filled life, do you know what? We will be giving thanks every single day. Finally, Paul uses the S word to kind of get our attention. He writes, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God, he says. This is one of the most difficult concepts for us to grasp today. Because you know what? We don't want to be in subjection to anyone. For any reason, for anything. We don't want it. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We just simply do not like the idea of being exposed to another person. The truth is, that a spirit-filled Christian will submit to one another joyfully. It is also important to note that the last five words of verse 21, look at the last five words of verse 21, in the fear of God, have we forgotten who God is? My parents, I just told you about my father, used to tell me to apologise to my sister when I did something wrong to her. Of course I refused many times, uh, but my dad finally uh, told me that I would be punished if I failed to apologise to her. Suddenly apologising wasn't so much a bad idea then, when my dad said it to me. I feared my father's discipline if I didn't go through with it. I wonder sometimes in our high and mighty sense of independence, we will be quite as high and mighty if we live with reverence for God. This is not some kind of gotcha. Fear that would strike us down if we missed it. But instead it is a respectful fear of God's power and his holiness. That is the sense of what Paul's in. To submit to each other. He was saying, submit to each other because you know how God feels about you. That's what he says. So what we've done, we've examined the context of the command. We've examined the construction and the qualifications as well. We've seen what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Well, I hope you've got what it means to be filled. There are two questions remain, however. How can we be filled with the Spirit? And why Why would I want to be filled with it? Why do I want to be filled with the Spirit? So let's answer those briefly before we conclude our study today.
How can I be filled with the Spirit? I shouldn't have to ask you. I shouldn't have to answer that. You should already know that. But the answer is quite simply, submit yourselves to Him. Submit. Think of your life as a house, okay? Your life is a house. Every room has a locked door. Okay? You've got all these rooms in your in you, and they've all got locked doors. You hold the key to every single lock of every single door. Alright? Perhaps one room is your relationship to your family. Another room is your attitude to the people who are different from you. Perhaps so you have a drawer of secret sins or a room of resolved anger. Perhaps that's one of the rooms. Being filled with the Spirit means this. You hand over the key and chain to the Holy Spirit. It means you allow Him into every aspect of your life. It's not going to be easy. Because you know what the Holy Spirit will do? He will probe into areas of your life that are totally taboo. He will expose areas of your life that are dark, even if you try to forget them. He will remind you of unconfessing. The Holy Spirit will literally clean house. And you have to choose to let him keep filling you up or just be a nominal, carnal Christian. You have to decide to do that. Because if you're willing to pay the price in order to experience the joy, then you need to decide today to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. And I know that's tough, because you don't want the Holy Spirit to be in every aspect of your life sometimes. It's like that, I would put it like, you've got a swimmer, you know, you put somebody's drowning and they're fighting and they're fighting. There's no good saving a drowned person while they're fighting, but they'll take you out as well. The way to save a drowned person is when they stop fighting, because then you can grab them and you can help them. If you're fighting the Holy Spirit, that you don't want the Holy Spirit to go into that dark place in you, one of those rooms in your body, he won't. But if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and experience that joy, stop fighting. Hand over the key, hand over the chain, and let him come in. So you say, why should I be filled with the Spirit? Primarily speaking, do you know what? It's God's will that you are. It's God's will. Anything less is outside the will of God. The interesting thing about God is that he never pushes, never pries, never forces himself on anyone. He won't do it. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and obey the Gospel, it is because you've reached a point where you've weighed perhaps all the options up, you're right on your feet, you need something, so he's taught you the Gospel, and nothing else comes close to him. Nothing else comes close. When you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, it's because you want more of God. Don't you want more of God? More of His presence. More of His power. More of His grace. If you hunger for God, then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's be clear on a few things today. The Holy Spirit only lives in the lives of Christians. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you do not have the Holy Spirit. Period. You do not have it. The Holy Spirit enters Christians when the gospel is obeyed. Although the Holy Spirit is in Christians, being filled with the Christian is an act of submission on part on the part of the Christian. 
So as we finish here today, and I'll, I'll, we'll jump into communion as well straight after. Most Christians are not filled with the Holy Spirit. I didn't say did not have. I didn't say that. I said most Christians are not filled with it. They've got it, but are you filled with it? Is he ever present in your life every day? Are all those rooms open to him? Can he fill you? See, if you want to walk with God and fulfill his will for you, you need to submit to the Holy Spirit that lives in you and let him take over you. But you can force him not to. You say, do you know what, I'm going to fit on him. I'm not going to force myself. You've got him. Understand that, you've got him. But it wouldn't be good to be filled. And that's what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 21, Paul's on about. He's on about in there, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. So how do I do that, Paul? Ephesians chapter 5 tells you how to do that. Amen. Amen. We're going to go to... Um, Community today, um, and we, again, I've said this before, and many people. The communion should mean one thing only. But we all have come to communion and say different things about it. It needs to be personal to us as well. But ultimately, without the communion, without the, the sacrifices of Christ, we've got no future. And I've said this. I've said this over there to the uh, teachers of class. We've got no future. By the shedding of the blood of the cross, we've got a future. But what a cost. What a cost that cost God to see his son on the cross for you and me. Okay. So as we take the bread, just remember that Jesus' body was technically, if you believe it, not a bone of his body was broken, but he was broken in one sense. And he went up there on that cross and he looked down and he saw you and me. That's what he did. He saw you and me. Let's bow our heads as we take the bread. Father God, we thank you for the, um, the sacrifices of your son, but your sacrifice that you made through your son for us. We can never imagine the pain that it must have cost you and him to be put on that cross for us. The body was technically, technically broken. Okay, not a bone of his body was broken, but he was broken. Father, let us never forget who you are. Let us never take this, what we do today, in commemoration of the sacrifice. Let us never take it for granted. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for the 
for the, the, the fruit of the vine. Father God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Blood is life. If me and you didn't have any blood in us, we'd be dead. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed upon the cross for us. As I said earlier, Father God, when you look down to, and you see us, you see us through Jesus Christ. You see us through, you see the blood of the Lamb on us, Father. We thank you for the sacrifice of that. We thank you that we can take the fruit of the vine to remember, Father, that sacrifice. Again, let us never, ever take this sacrifice for granted. Never let us think about it as it do. you know what? It's, it's Sunday again we're taking communion. Let us never think like that. Let us contemplate on the sacrifice that it cost. But let us also rejoice, Father. Let us rejoice that through the blood of Jesus we have life eternal. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.